Hi, and welcome to the Legal LGBT Podcast. I'm Eric Lesh, Executive Director of Legal, the LGBT Bar of New York. The election of the Biden-Harris ticket and the end of the Trump presidency has enormous consequences for the LGBTQ community and for democracy, equality, and justice generally. There are so many issues to unpack when we think about the road ahead for LGBTQ people and those with HIV. And that's why I'm particularly excited to be joined by Lambda Legal Senior Attorney, Legal Board Member, and my friend, Omar Gonzalez Pagan. Omar, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, Eric, thanks for having me on the podcast again. We're so excited to have you back. I feel like the last time we had you on the podcast, it was just after oral argument in the Title VII cases. So uh, we were we were talking about maybe ominous things to come, and yet it turned out okay. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But I wanted to start off with, um, we're talking about the election and the transition and the Trump presidency. I mean, these are such big ticket things. And so I want you to just kind of reflect at the very outset about what it's like to be doing this work at Lambda Legal over the last four years and how that work compares to what it used to look like uh, during the Obama administration. What's changed and, and what's that feeling been like? Exhausting. <laughs> I think I think it be, can be summarized that way. Um, it, it has been an incredibly difficult four years because aside from all of the affirmative work that we do to expand the recognition of the rights of the LGBTQ community and people living with HIV, um, you know, there's always some defensive work that happens. There are uh, there are litigation groups that are anti-LGBT that are bringing cases that we are intervening in or having to file amicus briefs on. Um, and that will continue even under a Biden administration. In fact, it probably will, like, will increase. Um, but it is a whole new thing and level um, to see the amount of anti-LGBTQ actions taken by this administration. So from the very first year, we saw within one month the withdrawal of guidance with regards to transgender students. We have seen them enact a, a ban on service, military service by transgender people, um, continue the enforcement of a ban on military service for people living with HIV. Uh, we have seen them roll back protections, regulatory protections for LGBTQ people and other minorities in healthcare uh, for regulations, um, non-enforcement of those regulations, and promulgating regulations that actually seek to foster or invite discrimination, um, like the so-called subconscious rule or better term denial of care rule in healthcare. And so, you know, it has been a continuous uh, uh, battle the last four years, and at least we hope that the next four years, that is an area where we don't have to be battling um, the federal government as much. Um, uh, for what it's worth, we have become experts on administrative law in the civil rights community over the last four years because um, this administration took so many administrative actions that needed to be overturned and, and the Administrative Procedures Act was um, sort of like the tool that many of us in the civil rights community were utilizing to overturn these rules, many of which were just 
arbitrary, were completely nonsensical. Um, so ultimately, it's been a, a really busy uh, four years. Uh, I think there was it was it was taking a toll on all of us, and and certainly would have been impossible, I think, for many people to continue at this pace of of litigation and fighting back uh, for another four years. So um, it, it it is a relief to see that at least a change in administration will be able to let us focus once again on how to expand the recognition of rights and in, do some defensive work when it comes to bad states and, and, and anti-LGBTQ groups, but also do affirmative work to the extent that we can. That was well put. And I think <clears throat> there's so much to tackle. I'm going to start with uh, what you referenced, which was uh, the administrative actions and the executive orders that, that came out of the Trump administration, where we need to see some reversals. I, I mean, I think about the very first day and the uh, Title IX guidance being revoked, which uh, would have, was in place to protect uh, transgender students. Uh, to the Muslim ban that came out right away, um, you know, the broad interpretation of religious liberties, like you said, um, the interpretation of Title VII guidance for employees, um, and then the revocation of um, trans health protections, child separation, so many disastrous uh, regulatory actions, executive orders. What do we see as the top things that need to be undone? And how does this change some of the litigation that you, that is ongoing, like the challenge to the Trump military ban that's been prolonged and still continues? Well, I... I... I think there are, we, we need to separate when we're talking of executive orders and regulations that have been promulgated um, by the administration. Um, every single one of those awful executive orders can be um, reversed and overturned on day one by, by uh, President Biden and his administration. Um, so that includes uh, the, the ban on military service by, um, by transgender individuals. That includes the various iterations of the um, uh, entry and travel by Muslim people into our country uh, from from other countries that are predominantly Muslim. Um, that includes the uh, guidance, right? Guidance documents that are not subject to notice and comment, um, such as the, the the letter from the Department of Justice and the Department of Education with regards to the protections for transgender students in pu in public schools. And it also means, for example, having a Department of Justice that actually is working to seek justice rather than deny it. And so um, that would mean working with um, all of the all of the cab administrative agencies in the federal government to uh, faithfully follow and enforce and implement the, the decision of the Supreme Court in Bostock, not just when it comes to Title VII in employment, but also its implications for other statutes that involve discrimination on the basis of sex. So that that includes Title IX in education, that includes the Fair Housing Act, um, uh, the Fair Credit. Um, uh, act and so there are a number of opportunities for for that type of um, unilateral administrative guidance and enforcement from the administration. Separate and apart from that, you have all of those regulations that are subject to notice and comment, and those cannot be overturned overnight. And so, for each of those 
Um, there is litigation pending in a number of them. That includes the litigation brought by us and a number of our sister organizations and, and states um, against the, roll, the rollback of healthcare protections. The, the upcoming uh, Biden-Harris administration should learn from what this administration has done and take the opportunity of that existing litigation to remand matters back to, to the administrative agency and, and to vacate um, rules that really have serious legal flaws. Um, and that for that, you know, we are talking of the healthcare regulations, we are talking of the denial of care rule um, in healthcare, which has been now vacated by three federal courts and and it's now on appeal to the Second Circuit and the Ninth Circuit. Um, that also includes litigation with regards to the use of disparate impact in under the Fair Housing Act. And, and the regulations pertaining to that, and a number of other regulatory actions that have, have been subject to litigation. And it should not be forgotten, I mean, this administration is in place at least for two more months, and um, there are proposed rules out there that they may seek to finalize in the upcoming days. And so bringing forth litigation is gonna be important to put a halt to, to the effective date of this regulations to the extent possible, but also to provide an opportunity for the uh, upcoming administration to go back to the drawing board when it comes to these regulations. How long do we expect all of that to take? <laughs> well, I think it's a, it's a question of um, both priority setting for the administration, but also um, understanding that there's no, there's no time to waste, that, that there cannot be delay in reversing a lot of these administrative actions that have occurred under the current administration. Um, certainly they didn't wait to try to overturn many of, the, many of the regulations, actions, and guidance from the past administration under Obama and, and to revert, try to reverse a lot of the progress that has been made. And this, administ this upcoming administration should uh, be conscientious and measured in its approach, but it should also be emphatic and deliberate in and, and um, affirmative in how it's gonna approach really reversing what has been actions that have caused great harm and damage uh, to, to the American people. So, so much of that is going to depend on cabinet appointments and the people that do the work of these administrative agency. We've seen a conveyor belt of really awful uh, nominees coming through uh, during the Trump administration from Mike Pompeo, Betsy DeVos, Bill Barr, Jeff Sessions, Ben Carson. I mean, just a parade of horribles. Um, how will um, will Biden appointees make a real difference? I'm thinking particularly at the Department of Justice. How will we see action almost immediately with good cabinet appointees and um, an invigorated uh, department doing actual justice change things for LGBT people and other um, and other minorities? I think it's uh, personnel is policy and really it should be an area where this administration um, if, if it really does mean what it says in its uh, platform that, that they should be appointing uh, personnel that is consistent with their promises to the American people, and that that are, that and personnel that is reflective of the diversity of the American people uh, in terms of background, in terms of racially, sexual orientation, gender identity, gender, national origin. 
disability, all of those things should be taken into account in making sure that we have a reflective administration of the American people, but also it should be important when it comes to professional background, um, right? It is important for this administration to appoint public interest people um, and litigators into important positions within the federal government for people that don't come just from the political and private sector, but also from the public interest world. Um, and 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 that you know that that is not seen as a disqualifier. It certainly was not uh, for for this past administration, this this soon to be past administration. For them, uh, they had no qualms into appointing uh, individuals that were extremists in their views, even within the, the Republican Party, to various positions in government. And and so I I think it would be a mistake for this administration to triangulate when it comes to personnel. Really. When they're doing so, they're they're already negotiating against themselves, and and doing a disservice to the American people. Mm. Yeah. So uh, I think about um, Loretta, uh, Attorney General Loretta Lynch, for example, saying, uh, "We see you to trans people involving when the uh, HB two North Carolina litigation um, was being uh, challenged by the Department of Justice," and so it just seems like what would it mean to have the Department of Justice see LGBT people again and stand with them and be a partner in fighting discrimination instead of, you know, the biggest opponent? Well, certainly it's important for there to be uh, a head of civil rights that believes in civil rights Um, and for there to be an attorney general that believes in uh, justice and that believes in the fact that we need fair and impartial justice in this country, um, that they work for the American people, not for a particular president or a particular political party or ideology or or White House. And all of that is important to be taken into account. And so having an attorney general that believes in those principles is going to be uh, incredibly crucial. Having a head of civil rights at the Department of Justice that believes in civil rights is going to be critical. This is, a, this is a division that has been eviscerated over the last four years, um, has rarely brought an actual civil rights enforcement action. Uh, no voting rights cases coming from this administration and this Department of Justice. Uh, in fact, they have intervened to suppress and the right to vote. They have done no enforcement when it comes to uh, pattern and practices by, by police. And all of that is a huge reversal of what historically under Democratic and Republican administrations was the Office of Civil Rights and the Department of Justice. Um, and I think I returned there to, to the norm of having a Department of Justice that is impartial and, and committed to the rule of law is gonna be uh, uh, critical for the American people. All right, let's pivot a little bit and talk about the Supreme Court. Obviously, one of the, you know, the lingering legacy that Trump is going to leave is um, the appointments of um, Justice Gorsuch, Justice Kavanaugh, Justice Coney Barrett, um, who will be around for, for life. And uh, let's talk about what we've seen from the court so far in terms of victories in the Bostock case and for LGBT workers and how that Uh, win is going to play out in the litigation that you do in the years to come, and then what it might mean based on what we saw at the oral argument in uh, Fulton v. Philadelphia 
for uh, religious liberties and, and what, how those might undermine basic civil rights protections if we get a bad outcome in that case. What is the litigation going to look like um, after these two cases? And what are some of the big cases that we expect the Supreme Court to decide in the coming years? Yeah, well, before I, I get to that, I, I do want to make a, 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 if you will, a, a change in nomenclature here. Some of these cases, they're not about religious liberty. They're about the imposition of religion views on others. Uh, nobody is seeking to, uh, in any of these cases, there is no uh, allegation, nor, nor, nor is there any act in which somebody's ability to uh, believe what they want in accordance with their religion or to, um, to, to, to actually engage in religious practices is being um, attacked, undermined in any way, shape, or form. This is about, for and before we just turning quickly to Fulton, this is about a, a, a local government contractor that happens to be the Catholic social services to perform a governmental function for which they've paid for with taxpayer money to not perform that function in accordance with the terms of the contract. So when it comes to here, here basically, this is a governmental contractor that says, I, want, I am entitled, entitled as a matter of constitutional right to receive taxpayer money to do a governmental service, even though I will discriminate against people um, based on their sexual orientation or gender identity or religion. And if, if that's the case, it eviscerates the idea of government, of having a secular government and, and the idea of separation of church and state. So the case is not about religious liberty. The case is about a religious institution claiming an entitlement to public taxpayer funding to perform a governmental function and, that the, and saying that the government doesn't have the right or ability to set the terms of how they perform that function. So that's the case that we're talking about. Um, it's, these cases are not about religious liberty. These cases are about you, the misuse of religion to hurt, harm, and discriminate against others. Um, and so uh, I just wanna make clear, like nobody's religious liberties are at stake in any of these cases, um, creating a, a, a whole separate America in which Religious institutions don't have to abide by the general laws that apply to everybody else. And so that is certainly not the, the principles in which our country was founded. And that is certainly not the spirit nor the, nor the law text of the First Amendment. So when it comes to the Supreme Court, I think it's important for us to know we had a, this huge victory in June um, in the Bostock case. It has already started fil filtering down in other cases. And we have two courts of appeal in, that in August decided that, um, that, that Bostock informed how they would interpret Title IX when it came to discrimination against transgender students when it came to restrooms. Um, that was in our case in Adams and the ACLU's case in, in Grimm. And you know we have seen a number of other court cases uh, be decided in light of Bostock already. Um, and, and so it's important for that to continue to filter down. The Supreme Court that decided Bostock doesn't exist anymore. Uh, that has been completely changed with the appointment of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. And so what that means uh, for the future, I think, it, 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 well, it's up in the air, but it certainly 
is not a reason for optimism. You know, I, I think the Fulton argument, at least for the short term, illustrated possibility of limited losses as opposed to huge losses for the LGBTQ movement when it comes to the Supreme Court. Uh, it appears that a couple of the justices were trying to come up with a decision that would be cabined to the specific facts of that case. But that is worrisome too. Um, it erodes the broader principles of equal protection of the law, under the law and, and others. Um, and uh, so, you know, we'll see what the Supreme Court decides. It was definitely a vigorous argument that occurred on November the 4th, the day after the election. Um, Justice Alito and Justice Thomas already wrote a, uh, uh, an opinion, uh, <laughs> chastising um, the Supreme Court's president in Obergefell. Certainly there is uh, appetite by some justices to, to overturn this progress. And, and so we'll see what happens. What I will say is that uh, the judiciary, federal judiciary, has become increasingly conservative um, in light of Trump's judicial appointees. But you know, we have had federal. The, the the Supreme Court has never been a liberal institution in the last forty plus fifty years. And even with that as the landscape, we have achieved momentous wins uh, for the LGBTQ movement over the last couple of decades. Um, just recently, we won two cases on behalf of two uh, families, two same-sex, ma- married same-sex couples whose children were denied recognition of their citizenship because they were born abroad to a same-sex couple. And we won both of those cases. And one was before Obama appointee and the other was before a Trump appointee. And so really, I think it is important for people to take stock that um, There are serious challenges um, ahead. There are serious obstacles, but that doesn't diminish our opportunity to continue to make progress. And we have been able to adapt and do that before. And hopefully with this new administration, there will be at least an effort to make judicial appointments that are reflective of the diversity of the American people and that are reflective of the values of the American people. And so, you know, that I hope it means that we don't see uh, appointments to the federal courts of appeals that are just exclusively white, like this administration did for the past four years. That's very well said. And we've been covering on this podcast just this last time we talked about the citizenship case that you all won. We've been talking about Lambda Legal and a whole host of victories that you've achieved, even recently under uh, Trump appointees. It's really quite astounding the positive work that's still moving forward, even though it feels like every day there's some new uh, depressing outrage. Um, in terms of what this administration has done to either roll back or attack rights. Um, So it's nice to hear it kind of put in those terms from you uh, in in the fact that we can still win if we have the best arguments and the best uh, reasoning and the best plaintiffs and the law on our side. I wonder if you can talk for the last question here about policy achievements that we might set our eyes on. Obviously, we don't know if we're, if uh, progressives will control the Senate 
yet. There are two runoffs in Georgia, but um, you know it, it's going to be difficult to get a lot of progressive items through Congress. Um, but 2022 is not that far away. What about the Equality Act and other items, voting rights that affect LGBT people, LGBT people of color? Um, do we see anything moving forward on, on the progressive front? What should we be fighting for? As it stands, I think, you know, even even if <laughs> if the Senate were to be 50-50, um, there's still the filibuster to deal with, right? And so that will require um, uh, cooperation and bipartisanship. I think it requires this administration to, the, the Biden-Harris upcoming administration, to be cognizant of the need for uh, for it not to negotiate against itself first before going to the Hill. And for some of the promises that have been made to the American people of what, what the priorities are uh, of, of this upcoming administration to be sought uh, with every tool in the arsenal. Um, so if it means attachments to other bills, to must-pass bills to make some of these things happen, then that that is something that should be done and pursued. Um, if there is a real commitment and, and, and view that some of this... Um, bills like the Equality Act are a priority, then political capital should be spent on those priorities. Um, it's about them walking the walk rather than talking the talk. So, you know, but there's no illusions. I mean, this this is a country that is deeply divided. Um, under no, I, I, I think it would be also foolish for any administration to try to govern like this past uh, outgoing administration governed, which is to to, to to ram through everything in their ideological wish list in a way that really was about spiking the ball and uh, eliminating their opponents. And I think, you know, Joe Biden re- really speaks to, to the moment in terms of trying to promote unity and reconciliation. And there are debates that will happen. And it is it shouldn't be the case that our dignity, our humanity are not off for debate. And there are lines that be, need to be drawn. But I hope this administration will just spend political capital where they said that they would. And not every policy priority will be passed, but some of them will. And then that, that not everything needs to be done through, through, through legislative means. There is a lot of executive power that this administration has, and they can do that through the appointment of personnel that is reflective of their policy priorities and through the exercise of the executive powers, whether it's the use of uh, conditions on federal contractors, whether it's the use of rules and regulations or executive orders. There are many things that this administration can do um, even with without a cooperating um, Congress and, and it should not lose sight of the promises that it made to the American people. Do you have a call to action for lawyers who are listening, aspiring lawyers? What should they do right now? <laughs> oh, um, I think right now people should still be focused on volunteering. I, there was a lot of volunteering that happened in protecting the right to vote. Um, there are still ongoing and upcoming elections in the next couple of months. Um, so certainly they're volunteering to make sure that voters are protected and their right are, um, to vote is protected. And then, you know, I think this is also an opportunity for 
people to step up. There is a lot of opportunities to be filled and positions to be filled within the federal government with the change in administration. And if people really want to see change, then be the change. And that means applying for those positions, making yourself available to this administration and and to the organizations that are going to be working with this administration to make uh, progress. I'm ready. That sounds great. Thank you so much, Omar. You have a great day and thank you for speaking with all of us today. Thank you. And as always, thank you so much for listening. This and future episodes of the Legal LGBT Podcast can be found online at iTunes or at legal.podbean.com and now on Spotify. Listen to us wherever you find your podcasts.